You're listening to the Immaculate Podcast with Tim McMaster and Ed Bachet. Hey everybody, welcome into episode six on a what's kind of a dreary Monday morning, I guess, in in Steelers land. A tough game on Sunday night. They're stomped by the Patriots. 33-3, now 0-6 against Tom Brady and Foxborough. Tim McMaster and Ed Bouchette here to kind of put a bow on this game and look ahead a little bit, and we'll also talk about Antonio Brown, which is just kind of the salt in the wounds right now. Ed, you were doing a live chat during the game. Um, let's start there because it couldn't have been a very good chat room. You can't. You, I mean, you can imagine what people were saying, that, that uh, people were going to bed early, uh, giving up, uh, you know, they uh, were slamming everything that uh, we're probably going to talk about <laughs> right now on this podcast. Uh, not a happy lot. And, um, you know, it, it just, uh, it's a, and as a lot of them said, same old story up in New England. And that's what it was, although this was the, their worst beating up there. Yeah, worst opening loss in 22 years. It was it was rough from start to finish. And before we kind of get into the game specifics, let's talk about the cloud that was kind of over this game, and that is Antonio Brown. Because uh, when we last did this podcast with Mark last week, it sounded like Brown was finally going to play in a game on Monday with the Raiders, and then so much changed over the weekend as this thing just got weird and wacky. And he ends up in New England, and it sounds like it's, Maybe the place Antonio Brown wanted to be all along, and he kind of orchestrated and pulled the strings. That's one way to look at it, at least. Um, the Patriots would have loved to trade for Brown from the Steelers last season. The Steelers weren't interested in sending him to a rival, which makes perfect sense, but he ends up there anyway. How much of all the stuff Brown has done here recently, Ed, do you think was orchestrated to make this move happen? Well, I, I don't know that it was orchestrated okay. in Pittsburgh until the very end. Um, after the season, uh, I don't think him staying away, uh, that before that game, uh, was, was well thought out as far as hit, forcing him out. But then as the off season went on, I think he did by what he was doing. And it looked like the same thing in Oakland. I don't believe he went there with the idea that he was going to go somewhere else. But as things progressed, <laughs> he probably looked around and said, Wow, I did it in Pittsburgh. I can probably force my way out of here, and if I do that, I can sign anywhere. And looky, Tom Brady and the Patriots want me. So um, you you could you could understand if that's how it happened. I'm not sure it did, but um, it certainly is working out for Antonio Brown in a way. I mean, he did give up 30 million guaranteed to take the Patriots, nine million guaranteed. Um, but he also has a chance to get his first Super Bowl win. Uh, ring, which he did not have a chance to do in Oakland. It is interesting because you're right. Financially, this is not a good situation for Antonio Brown. He's going to be making a lot less money. Um, and, you know, only like you said, only $9 million of the bonus is guaranteed, another million on top of that. So that side of things, it's bad. So it seems like that's not what he's concerned about. Reports came out that he had even talked to a social media specialist as far as figuring out the best way to put out social media that would get him released from the Raiders, which he did to a T, I think, if you have to say that, between recording uh, John Gruden's voice on a phone call and putting it out in a video. I mean, all the little things he did. Um, there was a, So it's interesting the way people's perspe or perspective of what he was doing changed because I think there was one point, Ed, where people 
and there was a, a general talk out there that maybe there's something really wrong with Antonio Brown and, and people should be concerned about this. And then that seemed to swing to, oh, he's just selfish and he's done all of this stuff just to get to New England. Um, it, it's definitely interesting. I don't know where the truth lies. Well, that sounds like a convenient excuse yeah. to explain away all his stuff. Oh, he's sick. Well, we don't know that. Right. Um, and this goes back. This doesn't just happen. Uh, if you, There was a story uh, late last week uh, about what he did after he signed his 2012 contract. Um, and um, uh, some of his teammates uh, had to keep him away from Dick LeBeau and uh, so this this isn't just recent. This isn't just because he got hit in the head by Vontez Perfect a couple years ago. No surprise, the Steelers didn't want anything to do with talking about Antonio Brown, and I would think that that's that will be the continued story, unless for some reason these teams meet in the Patriot in, in the playoffs. We're not going to hear anything else from Steelers camp about Antonio Brown. No, and we haven't heard anything in a long time, so it doesn't. Uh... They, they, they were done with this last year, and uh, they certainly uh, answered questions early on in training camp, but uh, they have long been done with him. I guess the one good thing that came of this is that he didn't actually play on Sunday night against uh, against the Steelers, but didn't really matter. The Patriots seemed to have plenty of weapons, and watching this game made you wonder why they needed to go out and get Brown anyway, because the Patriots really looked dominant throughout this game. So let's get into it a little bit. Um, let's start on the defensive side for the Steelers and what the Patriots were able to do because they kind of got tricky early on. They used Edelman with the throwback across the field to White on kind of the, the double pass, and, and that set up a big play where they had the blown coverage on Josh Gordon for the first touchdown, and it was suddenly 7 to nothing, and it looked like right away just that sort of thing that the Steelers were on their heels. Yeah, you know, they, coaches preach all the time, stay at home, stay at home, do your job. Um, and on that pass, as soon as Brady threw the uh, it's a lateral, you know, right. it couldn't be a forward pass, uh, threw it to Edelman, the entire right side of the Steelers' defense ran to the left. And <laughs> it was so wide open over there. Um, you know, I don't know what, what some of those players thought they were going to do, go over and help on the short pass to uh, Edelman uh, if they stay home uh, they have that play covered but they were so sucked in Tim that uh, that that play worked to perfection it, it it was a lack of discipline on the Steelers defense on that part is that a situation where I mean it's not an excuse at all but Patriots really taking advantage of maybe first game of the season there's an extra excitement it's Sunday night and those players just want to fly all over the field and they get going too much Perhaps. I mean, we've talked a lot about how the Steelers are faster this year and, you know, we are playing uh, all over the place. Uh, Devin, not just Devin Bush, Terrell Edmonds, all these guys they, they have now have generally better speed than teams in the past. But, um, you know, that speed, they were quick off the ball to get over there and that opened things wide, uh, wide for, um, for that play to work. It actually... A lot of plays worked last night for the New England Patriots. Yeah, they certainly did. Just at the half, the yardage was 275 yards for the Patriots to 87 for the Steelers. And we knew going into this game, Ed, that, that pressure on Brady was going to be key to not have to blitz and to be able to get pressure, preferably up the middle. Thought maybe the fact that David Andrews being out for the Patriots, he's going to miss the whole season, the center. 
would help. And then you had Wynn making his debut for the Patriots at left tackle. There was a lot of things that made you think maybe the Steelers could get some pressure, but they really never did against Brady. He looked so comfortable back there from really the first snap through the fourth quarter. Yeah, it looked like um, it looked like uh, Win owned Bud Dupree last night. Dupree yeah. did was credited with one sack, so he's on pace for sixteen this season. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, T.J. Watt got some pressure on a little pressure, but other than that, I mean, I wrote about how they needed to get it up the middle against that center, and you know Brady getting his face, whether it's pushing his own lineman back into him or or what, but. Uh, it just uh, it never happened, and that combined with uh, with uh, not getting pressure, with not getting any turnovers once again. I mean, Brady now has twenty one uh, touchdowns and no interceptions in his six games against the Steelers up there. Yeah, six and zero. His completion percentage in those games now seventy one point one. He's thrown for t- over twenty one hundred yards. You mentioned the touchdowns, the interceptions. I mean, it's just. It's amazing because I feel like his stats against the Steelers are better than maybe any other team. And obviously the Steelers over the years have had great teams and very good defenses that have gone against Brady. Although I guess it's another situation where the Patriots generally are up to play the Steelers because it's it's normally a big game. But uh, the Patriots well, had... Well, it's a different game up there too, yeah, Tim. Yeah, well, true. Um, because the Steelers beat them here last December, really beat them this December... Uh, in Pittsburgh the previous season, except for that call against Jesse James and the touchdown. Um, it's just a whole another ball game up there for them. Yeah, and the, and the Steelers last year against the Patriots in Pittsburgh looked great against Brady and that offense, but the Patriots had seven plays of 20 yards or more, too, so it was the big plays that hurt as well. I'm not sure which where the bigger concern should be at this point the offense or the defense. Um, Let's switch things around, though, and talk a little bit about that Steelers offense. When you look at the end of the game stats for Ben Roethlisberger, they're really not that terrible. 27 for 47, which is too many throws. 277 yards, no touchdowns to pick. Their pass rating not great, 65.6. And the yardage misleading because a lot of it came late. Um, What was your just thoughts on just Roethlisberger? Let's talk about him first um, and his performance. I thought he was okay. He wasn't um, on top of his game, but I thought he was okay. He had a ton of passes dropped, Tim. Yeah. Um, three or four by Dante Moncrief. Uh, one by the rookie. Um, uh, I know he, he dropped one, uh, Dante Johnson. And, uh, you know, one would have been a touchdown. One would have kept the sticks moving. I think two, the Dante Johnson drop also would have kept the sticks moving. So, I hate to say they were crucial drops in a 33 to three loss, but you know it might have made things look a little different if if some of those balls were caught. You know, and Ben underthrew Holton deep early. That could have been a touchdown, a big play touchdown early on. Um, you know, and why they didn't? I mean, just the use of personnel. Why they didn't use Jalen Samuels? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yep, well, Jalen Samuels too, but why they didn't uh, use James Washington more, especially after he caught that 45-yard pass, and they keep, kept going to Moncrief, who kept dropping him. Uh, he had he was targeted 10 times, Tim Moncrief was, Dante Moncrief. He caught three passes for seven 
yards. Um, he dropped passes that probably would have given him 60 yards at least. Yeah, and what you mentioned Washington. That was the one long pass that was uh, successful, the 45-yarder. Roethlisberger threw deep a lot, and they just it just didn't work out. Moncrief really stands out, and you think about those other receivers, Washington and Moncrief and these other guys, and if they can't make catches – it just puts that much more pressure on Juju Smith-Schuster, and it just doesn't it then allow defenses to focus that much more on Juju because they have even less to worry about as far as the other weapons go. Yes, uh, in a word, and they single-covered him last night with uh, Stefan, um, I forget the kid's last name. Gilmore, but, uh, yeah. Gilmore, thank you. And um, he did a really good job. He's a physical player and did a good job so they didn't have to double team Smith Schuster and that made it worse for everyone else I don't think they're going to be this bad as receivers going forward Tim but they looked terrible last night their running game looked terrible Uh, why they didn't use Vance McDonald I mean they didn't even throw him a pass for the first 59 minutes and then he threw him four in the last minute he caught two of them for 40 yards I, I, I didn't get that at all I mean the whole preseason we've been talking about the backup tight ends they have no backup tight end and they don't throw to the their guy who is uh, could be i think a star in this league yeah and the broadcast talked about that also when mcdonald finally caught a pass that he was the guy that that a lot of people thought maybe was option number two in this offense as far as throwing goes after uh, juju and they didn't go to him at all and now granted not every team has a stefan gilmore that they can just put on juju smith schuster and have him held to six catches for 78 yards. So that's not something every team has. Some do, some don't. But Gilmore is is that physical corner that can really just be put on a player one-on-one like he was last night. So we'll have to see how this offense runs in other ways. But you mentioned the running game as well. And going through the plays, and obviously in the second half, they're down big. They have to pass, pass, pass. Um, The first drive of the game, they showed a little commitment to the run. Um, It wasn't super successful and then they quickly seem to get away from it. James Conner ends up carrying it 10 times for 21 yards, Ed. But I feel like something we had talked about last week was the importance of keeping the Patriots' offense off of the field, and the Steelers couldn't establish any kind of run game. No, they couldn't, and part of it's their own fault. And um, You know, when, you're, when you have third and one and you pitch wide to James Conner, that's a play designed for failure, mm-hmm. especially against a New England Patriots team that is so disciplined. Um, let's compare the pa- the lateral to um, uh, to to, to uh, uh, when when the Patriots uh, threw the ball and uh, what's his name? Oh, Edelman White to White. Receiver. Yeah, Edelman. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and Edelman threw it back where the Steelers' defense was sucked in. Well, maybe. The Steelers thought they could suck the Patriots in on third and one, thinking they were just going to hammer it up the middle, and they pitch it wide, and what happened? Uh, the Patriots just snuffed that out as if this was the Spygate era, and they knew what was coming. <laughs> it, it was just incredible. 
So they had the, uh, yeah, in the second quarter, they had a third and one, and they tried to run it up the gut, and Connor was stuffed. And then they had the second one, which is what you're talking about, where they went with the pitch play. That was stuffed. So then they had the fourth and one late in the second quarter when they're down, I think, seven yeah 17 to nothing at that point. And having tried up the middle and tried going wide, they threw it on that fourth and one, and they don't get it. That set up the Patriots for one more field goal before the half. Um, but, yeah, short – Short yardage, right, is the key in the NFL. You got to get those plays, especially when you're going against an offense like the Patriots have. Yeah, actually, Tim, down there on the goal line, uh, on third and one, they try to pass. Right, uh, and, and yes, it was in the a third terrible quarter. pass toward Moncrief. Uh, and then on fourth and one, they've kicked the field goal, uh, 19 yards. Fourth and one, they're down 20 to nothing. Um, why are they kicking? I have no idea. Uh, they needed a miracle at that point, not a field goal. Um, it just it, it's baffling why they did that. But if you're going if you're going to do that, if you're down here in third and one, you put Rosie Nix in. Maybe you put an extra blocker in, and um, you try and hammer it up the middle. If that doesn't work, if you're not good enough, if your greatest line in the NFL is not good enough. And your um, your your fullback is not good enough, and your running back is not good enough. Okay, then throw it on fourth down. But no, they they simply took the field goal, and I still don't know why they did that. You make a great point about the fact that this is an offensive line that is supposed to be arguably the best in the NFL. If you can't get one yard, I mean, you I, three I, Pro Bowlers in that line. Yeah, I mean, you just it's something you have to be able to do. You got to get one yard when you need it. Now <laughs> you bring up the the field goal. It's twenty to nothing, and to be honest, twenty to seven feels like okay. You know, we're in this game. Maybe we get a turnover and punch it in again, and suddenly it's a a one possession game. Twenty to three to me is the same. It feels the same as twenty to nothing, and kicking that field goal just feels the same as as if they had gone for it and not gotten it. So might as well go for it and try to get it. I will ask you this, Ed. What was the mood in the chat room when they kicked that field goal? Uh, people couldn't believe it, <laughs> um, just like us. Um, you know, if you're 20 to nothing and you need a miracle, as you said, if you score a touchdown, you're two scores down. You kick the field goal, you're still three scores down. You still need um, at least uh, two touchdowns. You need you still need three touchdowns because fourteen and three or seventeen and you're down twenty to seventeen. So either way, you need three touchdowns. Well, I, I didn't get that at all. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. And sure, it ended up being the only points the Steelers got. So it was the difference between I guess being shut out and not being shut out. But um, that's not why the Steelers are playing the games. They're playing to win. And in that situation, you got to go for it. There, you got to get the seven and, and try to get back into the game. Um, from an injury standpoint, the uh, or from players missing in this game, all that struggle on offense, and the Patriots were actually without one of their starting linebackers. Van Noy was out because his wife went into labor before the game, so he wasn't there. So Jamie Collins got the start, kind of just proving the kind of depth that the Patriots have um, to be able to bring in Jamie Collins to, to come off the bench and, and start for that game. From the Steelers' standpoint, they lost a couple guys, T.J. Watt and Mike Pouncey. We'll learn more about those injuries as the week progresses, obviously, Joe Hayden was bumped up, but he came back a little bit. 
As far as the game went, Ed, did you feel like those injuries with Watt and Pouncey had a big impact, or at that point were the Steelers already kind of lost? No, they happened late, Tim. That yeah. that game was over at halftime. Uh, you know, when the Steelers uh, fell down twenty to nothing, that was it. Good night. Yeah, good night. Good way of putting it. All right, I'm gonna we're gonna try to put a silver lining on this a little bit. As we, as we get to the later portion of this podcast, I will say this, Devin Bush made his uh, NFL debut and had 11 tackles, Ed. Um, he was flying all over the field, like you would say. We weren't sure how much many packages he would be in and how many plays he would get. Did he at least impress you a little bit? No, he didn't, Tim. <laughs> okay. um, you can look at those tackles and say, wow, he had 11 tackles. I'm telling you, I did not look at the uh, defensive stats and you're telling me he had 11 tackles. That stuns me because I, I didn't see I didn't see him having a whole lot of effect on that game. Um, you know, I, he still uh, is a is a great prospect, I think, and and will be a good player here. Maybe a great player, who knows? But he, I didn't think he had a real good debut despite those numbers. Yeah, certainly a tough spot to make your debut. It was interesting during the week um, there was talk that the fact that his dad actually played against Tom Brady and then he was going to play it against. That was a first for Tom Brady playing against a father during his rookie season and then his son here in 2019. So that was certainly interesting. This is not the first time in the long history of the Pittsburgh Steelers that they've uh, gotten their butts whooped in the first game of the season. Um They've had seasons in which this has happened, and they've gone to ha- on to have great seasons. You can only take so much from week one, especially when it is against the champs on the road. So is there some hope we can give to Steelers fans, Ed? Well, I'll give you some worse ones, some worse openers that wound up <laughs> with a satisfying season. Uh, 2011, they're coming off their uh, Super Bowl loss to Green Bay. Um, you know, the reigning AFC champs. They go to their big rivals, Baltimore, to open the season. Baltimore spanks them 35-7. to seven. Steelers wound up 12-4 and four that year, and they went to Denver uh, and lost to the Broncos because of injuries in that uh, one great pass Tim Tebow ever threw in the NFL in overtime. And then I'm going to go take you a little farther back. 1997 opener, a great Dallas team came here, three Super Bowls in the previous five seasons. Troy Aikman and company, they just carved them up. Uh, that one was 37-7. to seven. And um, uh, the Steelers that year uh, went on to uh, have a, have not only have a good season at 11-5, and five, they played host to the AFC Championship against Denver and except for some stupid coaching decisions, would have beaten the Broncos. They lost by three in that game. Broncos went on to win the Super Bowl. And I'll give you one more, Tim. This is a classic that's brought up about Chuck Noll all the time. He opened, the Steelers opened against two division foes, at home to Cleveland and then at Cincinnati. They lose to Cleveland at home in the opener, 51-0, then lose at Ooh. Cincinnati 41-10 for a total of 92-10. It looked like, you know, Chuck Noll was done. The Steelers were done. They wound up nine and seven, made the wild card, went to New, went to uh, Houston, upset the Oilers in overtime, and then almost beat John Elway again in Denver. Well, this is before the other one, uh, except for a drop pass. And if they had done that, they'd have been in the AFC title game. So there's just three examples of how teams can rebound. Uh, we've seen it 
many other teams around the league. Some teams start out 0-4 and go on to make the playoffs, but uh, I don't think the Steelers want to start out that way. Yeah, and a lot of good teams lost. Hey, a lot of people think Cleveland's going to be a much better team this year and make the playoffs. They got drubbed at home. Uh, the Bears look terrible at home against the Packers. So the Steelers aren't the only team that that's hoping to be good that was not good in week one. And we'll just see which of those teams can kind of pick themselves off the mat and go forward. Now, when it was an all-around effort by the Steelers um, on Sunday night. The offense was bad. The defense was bad. Which of those groups are you more concerned about going forward? Probably the offense, uh, Tim. It takes defenses a little while, especially you have some new uh, parts in this defense. They all haven't been playing together. They had an open against Tom Brady uh, and Julius Edelman and that group. Um, so I, I, the offense is what, if I'm Mike Tomlin right now, I'm worried about. I'm worried about who my number two um, receiver is. I'm worried about uh, you know not not being able whatever for whatever reason. Maybe it's just a coach's decision. Vance McDonald not getting involved. Um, you know they just didn't look good at all. And uh, the biggest concern is teams taking away with Juju and not having a uh, another receiver pick it up. And you can so, throw in the running game if you want because that looked terrible. Yeah, it certainly did. So next week it's the Seahawks. Now it's at home, which is good. Seattle snuck out a 21-20 win uh, in their opener at home on Sunday. So you look ahead to that game. Um, you said what was good and what was bad about the offense, what was bad about the defense. Who's the one guy that you think going into that game you want to see a clear improvement from at home against Seattle that can make a difference? Um. I don't think it's one, Tim. Yeah. I just, I really don't think it's one. Uh, Ben's going to have to play better. His receivers are going to have to play better. Uh, the line's going to have to block better for the run. Um, they're going to have to, I, I think the coaches have to get better in their play calling. Um, and on defense, you know, it, it, they need to get some pressure and turnovers. Uh, and, uh, if Seattle, not if, when Seattle sees that tape from New England, sees all those crossing patterns, guess what Seattle's going to run? Uh, they're going to run a lot of crossing patterns, yeah. so they better figure that out. It's just um, they have a lot to do, but I've seen, as I mentioned here, and we've seen it many times, teams are able to rebound in that second game. Um, of another concern, you may have mentioned the division, is what Baltimore did on in their opener at home. Yeah, Baltimore came out just guns blazing. Maybe looked better than any other team in the NFL, maybe other than the Patriots. Uh, Lamar Jackson throwing the ball all over the field, which is something nobody thought he could do. So, yeah, that's that's intriguing as well as far as the North Division goes. Um, it's going to be interesting. Now, you mentioned what the chat room was like with Steelers fans. What do you think the mood is going to be like at Heinz Field for the home opener? Will they bring the energy and the excitement early on, or is there going to be a little skepticism early on in that game? No, I think the the opener home at home opener is always uh, is, is enthusiastic. I, I mean, uh, the one thing about the NFL, you don't play the next day. You, you yeah. wait a week and – you know the, the 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 stories will be turned out. The uh, comments will be made, and this game won't be forgotten. But they'll be you know they'll be looking forward to uh, Seattle and Seattle. Hey, that game surprised me. 
the Bengals going in there and losing by only a point, and they were poised to win that game too. So um, Seattle struggled against a team none of us thought was uh, very good, and I think virtually everyone picked to finish fourth in the division. That's good news, bad news for the Steelers. Maybe good news this week because Seattle didn't look as good as a lot of people expected, but <laughs> the division rival Bengals looked a whole lot better. All right. Well, we're going to dive much more into that game, uh, the Seahawks game, the home opener with Mark Caboli later in the week. Um, but it's been great kind of putting the pieces together from this Patriots loss to open things with you, Ed. Definitely follow Ed on Twitter if you don't already. He's at Ed Bouchette. And, Ed, uh, you've given us reason for optimism, which is what I was hoping to get out of you this morning. So thanks. Just a glimmer of hope. A glimmer of That's, hope, right. You always have to give them a glimmer of hope, Tim. Not all is lost. Uh, the sun came up this morning, so that's good. Steelers fans, keep your chins up. Uh, thanks to Marissa Morris, our great producer as well. And we'll talk to you later in the week.